Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, you will have a second part of our interview with Dr. Diana Mercado. She is not only family medicine physician, clinic medical director, and a chief medical officer, but she is also founder of Overachieve Life Coaching. She helps found solutions how to flourish with HDD and help everybody to achieve maximum life success. Please listen to your advice. Welcome, Dr. Mercado. Thank you so much. Yes, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me back. Today, we're going to be talking about relationships. You know, if you're not aware that you have ADHD, you might tend to feel sometimes like you have a lot of character flaws. Because, you know, for some people, we may have become kind of misunderstood. Like, we might come off as somebody who maybe is rude because maybe we talk out of turn sometimes or we say out loud what other people are thinking, but we don't filter it. <laughs> and that can be good and bad. But again, because there are certain things we just don't like doing because they're boring to us. If the other person doesn't have ADHD, or even if they do, one of them is going to tend to be a little bit more organized than the other. And if that's the case, it almost kind of changes the dynamic in a relationship, meaning like it could become that the person without ADHD now is kind of like a parent figure where they feel like they have to take on the responsibility of doing the responsible things, right? We were talking about money earlier, like making sure that, you know, the taxes are paid, making sure that when was the last time you had your oil changed, like they almost are right behind you. And then you feel judged as the other person. You're like, well, just let me be. What's your problem? I get to it when I get to it. Right. And so you start to like argue with each other and one feels judged. The other one feels like, why do I have to do everything? And that becomes a power struggle where what you liked when you first started dating, maybe was that the person with ADHD was spontaneous and didn't have a plan and was up for everything. And then what you don't like later on is that they're still spontaneous, they don't have a plan and they're up for everything. And you're like, we need a plan. We need structure, right? And then you're like, what? I haven't changed. What's your problem? You know? And so you can see why, again, if you don't understand that ADHD can be misunderstood, or you don't understand that your interpretation of how you're interpreting the world can sometimes be harmful for somebody else, because it might be that it's not that we don't love our spouse or our friends, but something else got us distracted. And so it almost feels like they're just one of your 20,000 to do things that you have to do. And you forget that, hey, those relationships, you need to continue to learn from each other, invest in each other. And so I say this because 
it can quickly, like I was saying earlier, boundaries and people pleasing and the inability to establish set expectations can end up in misinterpretation. I'll explain what I mean. So if you ask me a question today about anything, I am going to answer based on what I'm thinking about that day. And tomorrow you ask me the same exact question and tomorrow I might answer based on how I'm feeling that day and how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking sometimes don't mash up. And the other person is over there confused. They're like, well, yesterday you said, and I was like, yeah, that was yesterday. And then they're pissed off. You say I never listened to you. I did listen to you and you still changed your mind. Make up your mind, right? And so that conversation starts like that. You ask somebody without ADHD a question today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, they're going to answer you exactly the same way, okay? Why? I don't know. It is how it is. And I know that we're all human, and I know that we all can have thinking and feelings and all that, and that's beside the point. But with people with ADHD, our impulsivity or our limbic system sometimes does not have that connection with the prefrontal cortex immediately. So there's that two second delay that can get us into trouble. (laughs) And so they can think about it. And we already said it out loud. Like they can think about it. They, meaning people without ADHD, have that inhibition that's a little bit more there. And us, we already said it. We already told you, hey, you look weird today. Hey, like whatever. Like we already said out loud, maybe what was not appropriate to be said out loud. But again, maybe sometimes that's important because if we see somebody being misjudged or if we see some injustice, like we don't stay quiet, like we do speak out. And sometimes, you know, we might not have boundaries for ourselves, but whenever we see somebody else being threatened, like we speak up. And so you then become the person with ADHD becomes seen as either like the hero or the the villain (laughs) or the villain, like depending on who's looking at the angle, right? So like you're the one causing the ruckus. Everybody's like, this is the way it's always been. Why do we have to change it, right? And the other person's like, yeah, why has it been this way? The person who made it this way is not even here anymore. What the hell? Why are we doing it this way, right? And so again, I say this because you either cry or laugh, like there's no in between. But again, understanding that can help so much with relationships. Because if you understand that you said yes to something, it takes some self-realization. I said yes to something because I didn't have boundaries or I didn't want them to think bad about me. And then what happens is that you're resentful that you said yes to something, right? And then you're mad and then you're irritated and you're frustrated, but you never told them that you didn't want to do it. How are they supposed to know? You said yes, right? And so that's when you realize patterns. That's what the thing is here. When you start seeing patterns, then you can say, okay, look, I might have said yes before, but I didn't look at my calendar. I'm sorry, I can't do it after all. Or I might have said yes, but I didn't put the other commitment in there. And I double booked myself or something. Or I'm just not up for it today. Or just saying something came up. I can't. That's it. Like you have to just use 
those ways of communicating with people or, you know, with relationships, it almost feels like disrespectful sometimes, right? Because like you might have been told, oh, we're going to go to dinner at seven and it's like 7.15 and we're like barely putting on our makeup or we're looking for shoes and everybody's like, where are they? Like they're late. And in your mind, it's still seven. Like, what's the big deal, right? And so to the other person, it might seem like disrespectful. And again, you're not trying to be disrespectful. So it just ends up being that your ADHD can be misinterpreted in relationships. So again, you're not trying to do it on purpose with a time thing. It's just that if you ask somebody with ADHD, how long is that going to take you? We're only going to tell you the middle part of it. Because we don't realize there's like all this pre-recipe that has to happen before the actual middle of the thing. And so, yeah. So with relationships, understanding that sometimes we might come off as problematic or sometimes we might come off as misinterpreted one way or another. And sometimes we might not be carrying our weight as much as we should be, because again, maybe whatever that other person asked us to do in our mind, oh, it could wait, it's not a big deal. And it was a big deal to them, but to us, it wasn't. And so that could be misinterpreted. I see. Are there any evidence-based tool to stop feeling inadequate and inefficient and to feel empowered instead? What helps? Yeah, so I mean, there's a bunch of evidence based tools to help you with time management. I mean, we all talk about meditation. We also talk about tapping. I'm not sure if you are aware of tapping, but tapping. Yeah, so tapping is called emotional freedom technique. And it helps to decrease your cortisol level by 40 to 50%. And so that is an evidence based way of helping you feel like you have control of the situation that sometimes feels like you don't have control in that environment, right? So evidence based ways are exercise, like maintaining a balanced diet, you know, fruits, vegetables, and all that. And again, coaching, coaching is actually evidence based, it can help decrease burnout, it can help with self compassion, it can help with understanding how our thoughts lead to feelings and how feelings lead to actions and how all that can play a role in the results that we end up getting. And Cognitive behavior therapy, it's a different form of coaching, but it's not necessarily coaching. And you can use all the tools. You don't have to choose one, but you have to try them all differently to help you to get to a place where you are empowered. And it might not feel like you're empowered for trying one coaching session or for going out for one walk or for doing one meditation, right? But it's just like everything as you start to develop the habit, you start to get more awareness. And as you start to do these things over and over, they really do add up. Yoga Nidra, it's my type of yoga where you just literally lay there and like are hearing affirmations and it helps use the the body brain approach. Most of us are always in our brain, like we're always thinking about things. And we don't have a relationship with our emotions in our body. And we don't know how things feel. And so when we tap into that part of it, where we are now 
using more of our neurological feedback to help ourselves with our breathing, to help ourselves with our regulation, it really empowers us because we don't have to feel like life keeps happening to us. Like we realize that we can create time, we can create the freedom of whatever it is, our goals can then become just something that we're aiming towards and we don't have to make it mean anything. So there's thousands of different yoga nidras that you could try, but I mean, you just have to try something and realizing that the first thing always begins with you and be willing to try it. Even like I remember when I heard about tapping, I thought it was like the weirdest thing. Like they were asking you're supposed to touch like certain areas. There's like nine areas in your face and in your chest and the side of your axilla that you press on gently. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is weird. (laughs) It sounds voodoo. You know, that's what I was thinking. But, you know, when I heard about it from a psychiatrist who was talking about it, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll give it a try. But I don't know if it's because you're actively doing something instead of just trying to sit there and like, think, am I doing this right when you're trying to meditate? I think because you're distracting yourself with doing something, it helps you to do that. It's very helpful, yes. And how about negotiation and problems people with HDHD have with negotiation? How to overcome them? With negotiation, you have to understand what fuels you. You have to understand what are your values. With negotiation, it can get tricky because, again, if we're not listening to the other person, we might miss a clue right? And we might undervalue ourselves because we sometimes think so much about all the things we haven't completed. We have this mindset that, who am I? You measure yourself by your productivity, unfortunately, sometimes. And when you keep getting those emails that you haven't completed this or you haven't completed that, usually it's just admin stuff, right? But it's still stuff that can get us into trouble. You might undersell yourself. You might not realize how amazing you are at whatever you're doing. And you might not negotiate as good as you should. And so it's important for you to invest in yourself so that you can, not because you're broken, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just like you being left-handed in a right-handed world. But the more that you know about yourself, the more that you can say, yeah, I function best when I have my own MA. I function best when I'm sitting next to a window. I function best when I am sitting where nobody's right next to me. They're not distracting me. Like you start to learn how you best function and that helps you to advocate for your yourself, whether it would be for a pay raise or whether it would be for, you know, negotiating for a three day week or a four day week or negotiating for, you know, doing procedures or doing something different because that's what fuels you. Then you get to say that because you're coming from a place of strength instead of approaching it from a place of weaknesses. And sometimes even addressing it, like addressing the elephant in the room, like for me, 
taking board exams was not something that was my strong suit. Like if I needed to pass the board exam with like a 200, I might have scored a 201 or a 203. Like I would always just like barely like get through. But I was like, I passed. I don't care. Right. But I might be able to bring that up. Like I might address it before they tell me, oh, your scores are so minimal. I'm going to say, well, you're probably thinking that my scores are minimal, but that doesn't define the type of patient care that I deliver. I hyper-focus on my patients. I love solving puzzles. I listen to my patients. So like at the end of the day, my patient's not going to care about my score on the wall. My patient's going to care that I'm listening and that I care and that I help them. But yes, I know that we all have to have basic ability to pass these tests because otherwise we can't practice, right? But again, whether you are in the medical field or not, you can extract this out to anything. Like you can say that, you know, while I sometimes might be showing up late, it doesn't mean that when I'm not here, I'm not 100% present or, you know, so again, I'm not giving you excuses. But you can say, hey, I'm working. I realize that my time blindness has gotten me into trouble X, Y, and Z. But now I am learning to implement tools. For example, I have a smartwatch that goes off and vibrates or I'm working with a coach or I have started reading this book or whatever, right? Like if you address it, I think that helps you still turn what could be seen as a flaw into awareness that you are working towards something to create your safety nets so that you or somebody else takes care of the details and you get to do whatever is your zone of genius. Yes, it's very helpful. And how about imposter syndrome and rejection sensitivity dysphoria? How to disarm those? Yeah. So again, with imposter syndrome, usually it stems from you not realizing that you are doing things right, that you do have some strength. And I think that sometimes it's culture and we don't realize that. Like sometimes we are in an environment where we don't have any room for like not doing it perfect because not doing it perfect might mean we get somebody into trouble right? Like if we give the wrong medicine to somebody, the wrong dose to somebody, it could be lethal for someone, right? And so you have to realize that imposter syndrome is not necessarily that it's a character flaw. And it's not necessarily that it's you not being perfect. But you have to realize that imposter syndrome is just something there that we all kind of go through, like we wonder, like, am I really cut out for this? Can I really do it? But we all think about that. And it just reminds us that we're human. It just reminds us that we're not meant to know everything, but we are meant to keep trying. And if we do make a mistake, like learning and learning and learning from it. And again, not in a way from like, oh, I'm the worst, blah, 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 which that's what usually your brain goes to. But again, realizing, okay, what can I now set in place so that doesn't happen? So that's what I mean by disarming imposter syndrome. Like, I really think that if all of us don't have a little bit of imposter syndrome, then it might be that we're not dreaming big enough. It might mean that we are trying to on purpose keep ourselves small. But if you have a little bit of imposter syndrome, maybe that's a healthy dose to know that you're pushing yourself and you're growing and you're trying to keep expanding yourself. 
Thank you so much. It's very helpful. And would you like to tell a little bit about your program, coaching, and how can our listeners contact you? Sure. So my big passion project that I'm doing right now, I am actually going to have a CME conference in Costa Rica in May, May 1st through the 6th. And it's going to be really cool because I designed it to where half a day you're going to be at the excursion place. That's where we're going to have the workshop. So we're going to have the workshop at, you know, we're going to do the hike and then we're going to be at the volcano and then we're going to be going through all that. And then we're going to be like another day in the hot springs, another day in the hanging bridges. And so we're going to do the workshops in the actual excursion site. And we're going to be going through all of these things that we just talked about figuring out executive function skills would be the best for you, which emotional regulation skills would be the best for you, which ways to improve communication with yourself, with others, and how when you put yourself first, like everybody wins, like, you know, they tell us all the time, like, put your mask first, and then help everybody else. But we don't realize that if we really do take care of ourselves, then we're able to show up better for everybody else. So what I'm doing now, or that's my big passion, I have actually eight slots left to be sold out. It's going to be an intimate small retreat. There's 15 of us. You get your own private villa. So it's really cool. Awesome. Yeah. And some of them come with hot tubs. So like you come, you rest, reconnect, recharge, you know, and then you get to go home renewed. Yeah. So that's what I'm up to with that. So there's coaching in the evening. All the food is taken care of. So you just book your flight and you come and we take care of the rest. Okay. The other thing that I have is I have group coaching. You don't have to have ADHD to come and be in my group. I will say about 80 to 90% of the people in my group have ADHD. And sometimes, you know, they don't tolerate meds. And so they're looking for behavioral things. And even if you're on meds, like, again, you need to do all the interventions because this is a lifelong thing, right? And again, even if you don't have ADHD, we are going to be pulled in so many different directions throughout our lives and knowing how to have the correct tools to equip you to set up your system so you can leave work at work and you can actually do whatever you like with the freedom of the time that you get. Like I used to have two to 300 charts open like three years ago. I would have never thought I would be here talking to you about time management because I had no like <laughs> awareness of what that meant to have some freedom to do something else but charting. But look, now I'm over there in Costa Rica, making conferences. And now I'm running my group coaching program. It's a 12-week weekly program that we do. And we talk about everything. And I bring some guest coaches who can help us declutter and help us. I even bring like sometimes ADHD lawyers to talk about accommodations and different things like that. So yeah, I really want people to get the tools that I wish I had as a medical student. And you don't have to be a physician. I now have a group also for healthcare professionals and I have some drug reps and I have some social workers and I have some nurses and nurse practitioners. So it's really cool. I'm like, okay, I got the physicians to get it together. Now I need the whole team to support the physicians so we all can get it together. <laughs> it is wonderful you're doing it. And I will put in show notes all your links so our listeners can contact you and to learn more about this. It is awesome. wonderful. <laughs> Yes, so you can find me at ADHD-LifeCoach.com. On there, you should be able to see all the podcasts and you can reach out and ask me anything. 
Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a 5-star review, and share with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.